We ready to get into this? You guys getting something out of this? Guys, literally go back to those verses and just write next to it some of the things I said and what it means because it's right there. And then just, I mean, that hardness of heart one, that's pretty amazing, right? Like Moses allowed you guys to get out of there because you're being too stubborn and too angry and too frustrated, but we need to trust in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you for this night, eh, Lord, for whatever baggage we brought in. It is you who works on us in soul and mind. Even through our flesh, God, you will do mighty and powerful things. And I pray for the marriages here tonight, God. Anoint them. Pray your blessing over them. Where there's stubbornness, where there's just the things of the flesh, move them out of the way, God. Let your word speak. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray and say, Amen. So here's the idea. The first session, we're really allowing the Word to speak, and we're saying, okay, well, if I was to tell someone on the drive home what marriage is, it's right there in Genesis, it's right there in Jesus, we're good to go. Well, here's the reality I want you to get. You're going to leave these doors tonight, you're going to get in the car, and it's going to be you, and your spouse, and Jesus, and this world, and even Satan, amen? He's trying to occupy till he comes. Well, we as the, the Christians do that, but Satan is looking for an opportune time. He's raging around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour. And why I'm saying this is, you have to want to leave here tonight and take what I'm about to share with you, take what's inside of you, and begin to apply it to your life. Or you're going to end up another conference and another conference and have a load of notes, but you've got to begin to walk it with Jesus. Why? Because when my wife and I came to faith, we had no clue about this. When we first got married, it was in Vegas. Like I said, no one knew about it. I'd never even read a verse in the Bible. So picture showing up to a chapel, a pastor we'd paid $400 to, a witness we'd never met. We drove out there without telling anyone. And while we're there, this pastor begins to read this verse, the most famous verse really about love in the Bible. And as he does so, I'm going to read it. Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 13.4, you know it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In fact, love never fails. I'd never read the Bible, and the pastor said that to me as a 19-year-old kid, standing next to my wife. And I said, if I just do exactly what this verse says, life is going to be easy. Amen? I was crying. I was saying, man, the Bible's got good stuff. We jumped in the car, drove off into the sunset, and said, it's going to be sailing smooth. And what happened? The world, the flesh, the chaos came in, and everything began to fall apart. Here's what you've got to see. The Bible is the covenant between me and my wife, but it's a covenant between you and who? The Lord. You have to bring all your issues, all your struggles, all your marriage before Him and allow Him through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, to transform you. Here's why it's going to make sense. I'm from Liverpool, England. What are people from Liverpool, England like? They're soccer hooligans. Everyone in England is a soccer hooligan. Amen? The Queen, Mary Poppins, whoever you want to say. I mean, John Lennon. Everyone's pretty rowdy, and I'm saying this for a reason. If you grew up in my town and were walking down the road, you look whoever's in front of you, and for whatever reason, they either nod at you 
or they say something rude, they say something confrontational, they size you up. And I don't know why we do this, but Liverpool is very rough. So here's this kid called Brian, raised in Liverpool, England, with no idea about God, raised in a way that he's becoming passive-aggressive. Every time you see someone out in the street, every time you're out around all these gangs, this is how you learn to deal with situations, your fight or flight. As a kid, this is the culture I was raised in. The streets were really, really rough. I'm not glorifying that. But that's how you lived in Liverpool, out in the, out in the wild. That's what it was like. And so now, picture being this grown man, married to this woman, fight or flight. This is the canal that I've born into my system. You all have a system. You have a way you've been raised. This is the way you think. This is how you react, whatever your makeup is. And now you put me together with this woman whose dad was there for many years. Then he was out of the picture. So the mom had to raise up and raise the family, become kind of a commander. So you put me and Tracy together. Brian's passive-aggressive. And her mom wants to take charge of everything. How much conflict are we going to have? Amen. Every time something's going on for the first year or two, I was so mellow because I wanted everything to get along until one day I said, okay, I can't handle this. Something explicit, blah, 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 punch the wall. This is not what we're doing anymore. This marriage is falling apart. This is not good. That's how I learned to deal with stuff. In England, people swear at each other. Then they'll spit at each other. And then when you're getting closer, you know it's on. It's crazy. It's very violent like that. I had this same mentality coming to my marriage where my wife was going to stand for everything that she thought was right. So putting us together, it was not going to work. So we read this verse in Vegas, marriage falls apart. Now we come to faith and I read all the verse I just read to you. So my marriage is going to be crystal clear and perfect. Amen? No. I have to leave these doors. You have to leave these doors. And you have to take what I'm talking about here. And you have to figure out what is in you. And you have to begin to work on it with you and the Lord. Why? Because the Bible says, As a man so thinketh in his heart, so is he. The Bible says, Guard your hearts. I can tell you all day the verse is about anger. In your anger don't sin. Let the sun go down on your anger. But does that really apply to my life? if I'm not living it out? No. What this means is, we can go through so many ways, we can live in such a way that we're trying to get to Christ, but if you don't take it yourself, and judge it, and bring it out into the open, nothing's going to change. Even these best-selling books, like the five love languages, or love and respect, amazing books, they will tell you, it is great that you've read this book, thank you for purchasing it, but if you don't do anything with what I'm telling you, and stand on the Word of God, you may have... Never read it. If I was to say to you today, what is marriage? What would you say it is? Anyone? Any thoughts? Covenant? Sacrificial? All these things are true, right? What marriage is, though, is it's a relationship. What do you do in a relationship? You relate. You relate. How did I meet Tracy? I was skating at Vans one day, did a backside melon grab, no one knows what that is, folded my ankle, called her up, there we go, a couple of guys, called her up and said, hey, do you want to go on a date? And I got her some free shoes because I was a skater and I had the hookup, and then we listened to music we liked, and we went and ate where we liked, and we stayed up all hours of the morning, we weren't Christians, we did whatever we wanted all over town, and we were very normal, we went crazy, but we related. We got to know each other. We built a relationship then you have kids. Then the bills come in. I mentioned it earlier. Then the struggles of life come in. There's not joy when you get home from work because your husband has been chewed out by his boss who's mad at his wife. 
You're going through all kinds of stuff with your family, so now I'm no longer relating, sending sweet text messages, or I miss you, or babe, what do you want to do with the endless hours we can do whatever we want with, amen? You're now beginning to relate in a bad way. And my relating defaulted back to old Brian, passive-aggressive. And Tracy's relating defaulted back to being a commander, and we didn't know any better. We just thought, this isn't good, we're done. As if some person out there was the perfect fit for a passive-aggressive guy. Or some guy was the perfect fit for a woman that was going to try and command him in all the ways what he should do. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down. That's what I had to take and apply. You know how far it led me? It led me to willfully going to anger management. Why? Because I had to realize, God, I'm carrying this anger. I'm carrying this frustration from when I was a kid. If a guy came in here right now and started doing crazy stuff, I'm the kind of guy, they say one guy in ten is this guy, I want to run to the guy and stop him for whatever reason. That's the guy I am. I had to take all these years of childhood and the canals in my brain and figure out what is this like. And for me, I can only talk about my story, but you have to do this with your issues. Asking your wife, babe, what do I wrestle with? Because what I learned about my anger was the Bible says anger is not a sin. Amen? But anger is an emotion, and how you act out, that's the sin. If I walk up to any of you right now and just start pushing your wife on the head, how many of you guys going to get angry with me? Someone in here is probably going to say something they shouldn't say. Some of you guys are like, oh, do it, she needs it. Amen. <laughs> and some of you are going to start pushing. Some of you might swing, some of you might do something crazy. What am I saying? It's because anger in itself isn't a sin. But the emotion in the way you react, that's what's dangerous. Jesus went into the temple, and what happened? He was angry, and he flipped over the tables, and he began to beat people, and we're not going to do that, amen? But the real, I had to learn in my life, when I get emotional, when things begin to happen, this is where I'm going to do something sinful. When you leave these doors, when you're driving home, what's inside of you and the enemy gets there, and the flesh operates, and everything they said to you as a kid, or that you think is the right way to act, that's going to be what begins to tear your marriage apart. I said so many things I didn't believe. I did so many things that I shouldn't have done. I would act out in whatever way. The Bible's telling me, don't be angry. I went and got help for it. I began to learn how to count, how to think. Words I wouldn't say. It went from clenching my fist to saying this to saying that. Even as a believer saying, I've got to get rid of this. And for my wife, what did she have to learn to do? She had to stand on these verses and you know, First Peter 3, 4. Women, you're to clothe yourselves with the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Even 1 Corinthians 11.7 says a woman is the glory of man. Every time we would fight and she would get in my face like a guy would have in England, we'd have been fighting, but this is my wife. How do I deal with this? How does she deal with this? And here's why. Because in the midst of, of heated times, in the midst of craziness, That's where you're going to have to learn to really fight the battle. You see, I used to be the guy that would slam the door and leave. And now I'm leaving because of you. Or I'd get out the car and go walk because of you. Or you'd say something crazy to me and I'd be quiet because of you. The church we were at, we had a guy with a high-level PhD and it was focused on marriage. And what he designed was a thing called a de-escalating line. A de-escalating line, I would encourage everyone in this room, you need to have one of these. What it means is when you're having a meltdown, when you're about to say something you shouldn't, or you're clenching something, or you're white-knuckling it, there's something you say that allows your spouse to know 
We're not going there. For us, it was something so simple. Let's not do this. This is not God's best. We love each other. So one minute we're fighting, and I'm like, you know what, babe? It's fine. I'm walking off. I'm mad at you. But then I'm like, you know what? Let's not do this. This is not God's best. We love each other. I'm just going to go for a walk, okay? Changes everything. Diffuses everything. Rather than banging something. Listen, you can't learn this in the Bible. You're, you're taught to be loving, but how do you do that? You have to learn to relate. You have to take angry Brian and become mellow and spirit-filled Brian. Amen? You have to take Commander Tracy. And I don't know who you are. We could sit down for five minutes and you can figure out. But you have to figure out how to do this. And you need to learn to do it together. Let's not do this. This is not God's best. We love each other. Why? Because the only way your marriage truly fails is when you no longer communicate and you no longer understand each other. And the Bible says a house divided won't stand. It will not stand. And so here's what happens. The enemy comes in. The flesh comes in. There's conflict. There's no commitment. And there's a lack of communication. And if you don't deal with the conflict in yourself, in your spouse, in your faith, in your sin, the division and the lack of community will rip you guys apart. Why? Because that's where the enemy comes in. And I'm saying the enemy, we know it's Satan. But he's the father of lies. Listen, guys, this is the only truth there is. Anything else you talk about outside of this that doesn't come from God comes from who? The enemy. Divorce doesn't come from God. Fighting with each other doesn't come from God. All this comes from a fallen and sinful state. And here's what happens. The enemy comes in. And there's two tactics, I believe, that really exhaust people in marriage. And what's amazing is, I heard a pastor preaching a few months ago. And he talked about a high, high level military guy in his 50s and 60s almost. And he goes out and trains the troops so that if they're captured, they won't give up any information. Sitting at a table with this guy and he's telling the pastor this, what they've assigned to me. I go raise up these 400 men and I train them so they are captured on enemy grounds. They give up no information like a good pastor. He said, how do you do that? He said, it's easy. If I can get them in the two places, they will compromise the information sooner or later. And he says, what are those two places? And listen to this. He says, the first thing we do to these soldiers to try and break them down and make them compromise is we deprive them of sleep. If I can wear you out, if I can exhaust you like many marriages feel, amen? If I can do that to you, they're going to compromise for food, they're going to compromise for water, they're going to get delusional and say crazy things. Okay, what's the second one? If I can isolate them. If I can make them feel alone, it's not good that man is what? Alone. If I can isolate them for a week, for two, drives them crazy. If I can do this to them, they'll begin to compromise. If I can deprive you of sleep and isolate you, that sounds like marriage half the time. Amen? We did a thing a few weeks ago, and a gentleman asked a question with four kids. My wife and I are going through hell. We had all these... Listen, he... We had all these plans for marriage. It was going to be so good. And now we're five, and six, seven years into it. We've had so many kids so quick. We don't even know each other. What should I do? I told him right there in front of a couple hundred men. You need to get on the same page with your spouse. Tell her this is where you are. Tell her this is where she is. Know you're exhausted. Know you're feeling alone. But know you are going to get through it. Amen? Smelly diapers are not fun. Bills are not fun. You're looking for the greener grass, but you need to get in the fight where you are and raise those kids and do it. That's what marriage is. 
It's back to the perspective, but he was feeling the pride of sleep. My wife's frustrated all the time. I have two jobs. He was feeling alone, feeling distant. We're never physical, he's saying. We're struggling in all these areas. Why am I saying this? Because when you're in these places, this is where the enemy shows up, and the way he shows up is he brings in someone from the past that you used to know. He brings in the opposite sex to have a conversation. Maybe that girl from high school who just happened to be on your page that day. Maybe that person texts you out of nowhere. Maybe it's even your family who give you the worst advice, guys. I love your family, but family members give us the worst advice. Why? Because they just want you to smile and be happy, and they will tell you so many things contrary to God's word. Amen? Or sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so in the prayer circle who tells you God has released you totally contrary to a scripture. I rebuke all that in the name of Jesus. Amen? But I'm saying what happens is you get isolated, you get worn out. Some of you came here and you go, man, I don't know if I don't get through this. That's exactly when the enemy begins to work. Movies and culture is selling this idea of being in and out of bed with any, everyone. You watch Friends, that's all that happens, the whole thing. My wife and I left the Golden Gales on a few weeks ago. And they're doing the same thing back then in their 60s and 70s, amen? Culture is selling you this idea that when you feel isolated and alone and listen... Because I've been through a divorce, I'm not going to divorce my wife again. I'm just going to get on with it. I've met people who've been divorcing each other two times. I'm like, what planet are you living from? Amen? But the reality is, when you're isolated, when you're alone, this is where you will begin to compromise. And here's an easy reality. My wife right now can go on my phone and go through everything. I can know where she is. I can see what she's doing. Why? Not because I'm jealous. Not because I'm insecure. Because I know what's in us. I know what's in here. Affairs don't begin in the bedroom. Ever. Amen. I should have nothing to hide. I get it. Some of you guys are going to seem more jealous or so crazy. That couple in our book that she said, man, he was like a Nazi. He was on me about everything. Yeah, but if you would have listened to him, you never would have ended up where you ended up. Adam was called to cover Eve, but he didn't. And so Eve fell into it. And if you don't want these coverings, you're going to be out there getting rained on by the world. It says if you isolate, and you make people alone, and you deprive them of sleep, what happens is pride comes in. Have you ever noticed no one really talks about pride anymore? You notice that? It's remarketed today. If you go on Instagram right now, or YouTube, or television, it's no longer pride. It's self-esteem, self-worth, self-value, self, 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 self. Why? It's all about us. Guys, Satan doesn't really need you to worship him. Do you know what the whole core of the Satanic Bible is? Do as thy wilt. He doesn't need you to worship him. He doesn't want you to worship who? God. I mean, what is this called? An iPhone. It's all about me. Amen? Remember that website? MySpace. YouTube. Facebook. It's all about us. I heard a pastor preaching the other week, and he talked about the magazines over history, for those of you who are a bit older. And what was it called? Like Time... People, us, me. It's called me now. So now we've gone all these places all the way down to being us. Why? Because pride is a market as pride. And you've got to realize in the midst of your battle, if it's pride, do you view it as a vice or a virtue? They said the generation today is a shaming generation. So we're telling everyone what we're doing. So they begin to robotically do what we're doing. And we end up missing our call. We're out there trying to be everyone else, trying to live like them. And I'm saying that to say, when we live this way, we're the center. 
Jesus said, I came not to what? Be served, but to serve. But you better be the CEO of your company. And Brian, you better preach the best sermon ever. It better be funny and bright. And they better tell all their family members because you're the next big thing. No. The biggest hindrance to God's ministry is you know whose ministry? My ministry. Who I think I am. I like fumbling around at times and being looser. Why? Because God's the one who's going to get the glory. But in my marriage, when I'm the worst, it's pride and it's self. And it's the same three things they were tempted with in the garden. The same three things Jesus was tempted with in Matthew 4. The same things in 1 John 2.15. He has three darts and it's the same way. And think about it. When was the last time he went to war with a nation because they were so prideful? We're going to war with Korea because they're so humble. Man, I hate my boss. He's just such a humble guy. Why did they get divorced again? She was just the most humblest wife you've ever seen. No. We know this stuff. We've got to remind ourselves a kind word turns away what? Wrath. We read in the Bible, Philippians 2.7, that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. That is hard to do. That is, my flesh doesn't want to do that. And the Spirit knows it wants to, but it's hard. Isaiah 53, 7. Jesus was oppressed and was afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. Philippians 2, 8. He was found in an appearance as a man, and He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You see, pride is the opposite of humility, but when we're humble, that's when God begins to get glory. And if you could summarize the whole of the Bible... Exodus 8.1, you know what it is? Let my people go that they may what? Worship me. John Piper has a great line, one of the greatest lines that just summarizes our faith. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Anytime operating out of pride, there's no worship. There's no trusting in the Lord. There's no stepping into that. And because what does humility do? Humility brings us into submission. And what's the most famous verse of marriage in the Bible? Book of Ephesians, what? 5. Listen to this. Ephesians 5.21 Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's Brian, here's Tracy. We're willing to submit with our mutual roles. God, show us how to live for you. And he says in verse 22, And women, here comes, Wives, submit yourselves, ouch, to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Men, God didn't tell us to try and be the head. You and I are the head of the home, whether we like it or not. And we are leading our family somewhere, whether we like it or not. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your husband. In verse 24, he says, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. And what? Everything. And how many women really want to hear me unpack this? Here's the reality with submission. What I tell my wife to do, if she does it, it becomes subjection. If I command her around like I'm just her Lord for the sake of me telling her what to do, she's my subject. And that's not what the Bible teaches. She has the purpose in her heart already that I want to come alongside this guy like we read in Genesis. I am the mystique of womanhood. It's not good that Brian's doing this alone. I'm going to submit alongside of him in my role as Brian is called to be the covering in the head as he submits to the Lord in his role. Amen? That means in your marriage, things a man can tell you to do that you shouldn't do. Watch certain things, invite partners into things, situations, getting drunk, whatever it may be. Don't lead that way. Don't take your bride there. But what he's saying to the wife is when you choose to come alongside the man as his helper, 
Hey, have the job, have a business, live creatively, go after it. Amen. I love that in Genesis, you know what it says? The first way God chose to reveal himself for the artist in here, he could have said anything. God is salvation. He doesn't. It says, in the beginning, God what? Created. God chose to reveal himself as an artist in the beginning. And I think when you see women rising up to that role, and men rising up to that role, it speaks life to the next generation. Amen? Submit alongside of him. You've heard that song, Sanctus Real. All the women, a famous song, Lead Me. Crazy, crazy song. About a woman crying out for this husband to lead her. And so many women say, I just want a man like that. And I say, but here's the thing. She's already asking him to lead her. And she's already chose to set herself apart to be led by a man. Not if he's perfect. Not if he only does it right because he's never going to be able to. We'll get to the men in a moment. But here's how this plays out in my life. I'm a skateboarder. I used to be more. And I like to skate late night. So how many times have I said, babe, I'm going to go skate right now at 11 o'clock in the night. I'm going to bring all the kids with me. Amen? Do you think my wife agreed with me? Yes or no? Do you think I told her you're going to submit to me, woman? No, because I get smacked upside my head. Amen? I have this beautiful wife who's smart and intelligent. I want all the advice you can give me. I want you to come alongside me. But in the garden, Adam was meant to cover Eve and be watching out for her when she went to eat the fruit. And he bailed. And I'm going to stand before God for how I'm meant to leave my home. If you come in our house right now, do you know who decorated it? Not me. It's how my wife wants it. Why? Because this is where she is most of the time when I'm doing stuff. Babe, what do you want to do? How do you want your life to be? I love her. I want her to have a blessed life. I don't make my wife do all these things, but what I do do is I lead her in a way that's like, these are the things we need to do. These are the things God has told me to do. This is the way God has led us to be. And if we mutually submit to that, we're going to see each other grow. Ladies, here's why this is hard for you. Genesis 3.16 Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And he says, your desire will be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So many times women say, I would submit to him or give him respect if he deserves it. And the best way to fight with your husband, tear him apart, is to not show him any respect. Men, how do you get the angriest? You come home from work, In your head, you're doing this all for the family. You've been working hard. You come home, get in a fight with your wife. She doesn't really need your respect. She wants your love. Amen? She says one thing to you, and it's on. You've been disrespected. My wife coming alongside of me, and affirm, like, like, I love being out here with you guys, but I'm also like, Lord, this is what you've called me to do. If my wife couldn't care less, that would hurt me. I want her to honor me. I want her to respect me. And I want to love her in the things that I'm doing. The worker is worthy of his wages, our hands to the plow. Amen? But when you choose as the wife to come alongside and honor him and say, lead me, he needs you as much as he needs himself and as the Lord leads you. Amen? I say amen a lot because for 24 years I didn't know Jesus. So I'm trying to catch up with all you Christians saying amen. (laughs) Your submission is going to come with a resistance. You're not going to want to do it. And when you step out in faith, and I'm not saying for crazy stuff, when you say, okay, Lord, you know what? It's on him. And we don't have that attitude, but... It's on me. Babe, here's what I think we should do, okay? I'm submitting, Lord, and I'm trusting that this is of you. And if it's on Brian, I'm going to be with him anyway. God is going to bless that. What does he say to you and me as men? Verse 25. Husbands, this gets tough. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Anyone figure this out yet? 
Anyone fail today? I'm sure I have. Amen. Guys, humility, thank you. Just as Christ loved the church. And guys, listen. This idea of perfection and maturing is the work of Christ. If you drop dead today, you are perfect because of the blood, but He has not finished perfecting you in your faith. The more I read this verse, the older I get, the more I'm cracking my head against the wrong thing, saying, I didn't say this right to her. I didn't love her the right way. That's the romance of me and the Holy Spirit and His daughter, my wife. He says, make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. That says, I need to know the Word. Have my own relationship with Jesus, be submitted to Him, to be able to wash my wife in the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of His body. I have two older sisters. They didn't believe in marriage. They had kids earlier. And later on in life, in their 40s now, you know what their goal is? Is that just one man will be willing to die for them. One man would say, I'm going to fight to pay the bills. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight to tell you you're beautiful in your 60s and 70s. I'm going to fight to be there when you go into the grave because that's what women are made for. Amen? They don't realize it today. Because I've sold so many things. I might step on some feet right here, but I can't believe the things we're seeing on television of the newest songs and what people are singing about. And like, if your husband talks to one of your girlfriends, go sleep with all his friends and all this crazy stuff. Like, platinum selling artists. I'm like, what is being sold this world? Like, what is the mindset? I'm very into that kind of stuff. I see the agenda. Like, it's crazy. And this is why when you understand this, it's like, when my wife became a Christian, I said, wow, so I get to come along my husband and he does all the reading and prep and going crazy and wrestling with God and then he helps lead the family and I get to come alongside of him and partner with that. That's the whole call. That's the whole goal. And that can be planning a church, starting a business, going around the world, opening a gym, whatever you feel called to do. The Holy Spirit's creative, amen? But it means that when you do this together, there's your relating and there's your oneness. Just as Christ loved the church. And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. And he goes down and says, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And his wife must respect her husband. So many times we're told to have childlike faith, and we should. But that doesn't mean we should be immature. I should have childlike faith and trust. But I should be mature in taking these things to heart. What are the few things that I could tell you my wife and I stand up on? Here's four or five thoughts. First one is this. Me and my wife, make sure we do this because after years of struggling with it, it changed our marriage. Praying and worshipping together. I can pray with all of you. I can pray with pastor I just met today. I can pray with you in five minutes. But after I've fought with my wife or said silly things or I've been exposed or she has, can I really pray or worship with this woman? She knows me. She knows what's going on. She's the one who can call me a hypocrite. And guys, we're all hypocrites. Amen? I'm not saying try and be a hypocrite. But I'm saying the difference with Christians is that we just know we're hypocrites. And we need Jesus to help us not be so hypocritical. Amen? How do we do this? Pray and worship. Well, my wife's very creative. So we do something practical. I go to a craft store and she buys a craft book. And she writes down prayers for people. And now it's that time of the night or the morning. She opens up this book. And we begin to pray for other people. It creates an atmosphere of praise. Simply putting music on. 
I know what it's like when you're in church and you've had a bad day and you don't dare raise up your hand because she's watching you, amen? Who are you to raise your hand before God? Praying and worship will change your life. Second thing is you need to be able to read together. Get in the Word by yourself, but get in the Word with your spouse because it creates topic. Four or five years ago when my mom passed away of cancer and the same month my wife miscarried our fourth, we were all over the place. What is going on, Lord? Someone had given us this simple and what seemed like cheesy 365-day marriage book with a tiny little verse that you read and three prayers that you pray. Let's just read this book, babe. We read that book the whole year. Every night after my mom had passed away, after she'd miscarried, still with the child in her stomach waiting to go through the process, reading that book for 15 minutes, praying for 15 minutes every night, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this. What were we doing? We're relating. We were hanging out. I would go away and print it out and I would read it myself. And then we'd talk on the phone. Why? Because it's again building the blocks of marriage together. The book, by the way, if you want it, is called Nightlife by a guy called James Dobson. Many of you guys have heard of him. Third thing, and this is going to be hard for some of you, we need to know how to play together. We hear it, the couple that prays together stays together, but the Bible teaches the couple that plays together stays together. Good friends of ours going through a crazy season. And she wanted him in church, in prayer, to serve, to do everything. But she says, oh, no, 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 we're not going to be playing though. Think about your marriage if it's a car, right? And there's four wheels. This car's going to church. This, this wheel's worshipping. Maybe this wheel's giving. And maybe this wheel's being physical. If you take any of these wheels off, is it going to be good, yes or no? It's not. And women have been sold this lie in culture as well, that this is like a blessing for a man to be given, a way to manipulate him. And I get it. Men sometimes are acting up. It sometimes gets crazy. But what does the Bible teach about couples being physical together? And I'm going to read a verse that I actually read a lot to men when I'm witnessing on the street. This is a good one. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 7.1 About the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But so sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Meaning, don't go there outside of marriage. This is only for marriage. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Listen to verse 5. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps. So don't deprive, except perhaps. Huge emphasis. By mutual consent and for a time, so you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I remember hearing about a pastor years ago. Him and his wife led a church, and they hadn't been physical in ten years. She did every kind of ministry in the church. And can I tell you, any other woman in that church could do that ministry. But only the pastor's wife can take care of that ministry. Amen? What you need to realize, this has become so taboo. And this is not what the Bible teaches. This is not the way it is. It's the kind of thing where your husband goes to work, has the worst day, and can come home. And just by hanging out with you, in whatever way, can change his disposition. All the men said, Amen. 
Likewise for the husband. When your wife wants to be spoiled and all the rest of it, you need to put the time into all of that. I say that because it's the biggest weapon that's been used in culture because it's the only way you can actually have infidelity. It's shocking. And I say it for this reason. In Genesis, it's obvious. It's for being fruitful and multiply, producing children. It's also for unity, the two become one flesh. In Song of Songs, it's only ever for pleasure because children are never mentioned. And right here, it's for security, 1 Corinthians 7, to protect. What that means is we want to... Listen, I get the epidemic is going on around America. I don't want to say because of the youth in the room, but this is something that is a spiritual practice. It's not physical. I heard Miles McPherson say, it's not that men want this, it's that men need this. Men carry a seed. And you can have all kinds of extremes, and you've got to talk about that, but the Bible says the marriage bed is what? Undefiled. It's one thing to pray. It's one thing to play, but you should be best friends, lovers. It should all be about this, because you know what it is? It's an act of humility. When I told that girl who were good friends of mine, look, you take this wheel off the car, it is not going to be good, because now he's going to be more frustrated. You're going to be frustrated. This is just a part of God. And what's the final thing I want to say? This is the most important thing, and I hope we get this. I'm going to share about this on Sunday. But the whole goal of why we're still here is because we're called to live out the what? Great Commission. Why am I not having an affair tonight? Because I'm living out the Great Commission. Why am I not embezzling money? Because I'm living out the Great Commission. So many people say, what is my call? How do I figure out who I am? Begin to serve in any arena and God will multiply it. When you begin to multiply and grow and serve, listen, so many Christians show up on Sunday and say, I like the speaker, I didn't like the worship, I didn't like this, I'll go to some other church. That's not Christianity. The only reason you and I are here is because we need to reach people. Think about it. Why didn't God just rapture us out of here like Enoch and Elijah? Because he showed up to some fishermen and said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He showed them how to do it for three and a half years. He died and rose again, and he told them the exact same thing. Now that all authority has been given to me, here's what I want you guys to do. Yes, Jesus? Go. Anyone know what the word go in the Greek means? Go. It just means go. It means when you wake up tomorrow and you're focused on your boss or who's in the office or who's at Starbucks, you won't get distracted by all the distractions in this world. When I go speak at rehab centers, one of the main things I tell them is you're so focused on drugs because you're not focused on going. You're fo focused on your addictions, you're not focused on going. You haven't got time for some gale on the side or some whatever it may be, focusing on the Great Commission. Because when I realize I'm on mission, it changed my perspective of God, my perspective of finances, my perspective of time, because we live in a way that we really don't believe we're equipped. Amen? The Bible says you are a chosen generation, holy and set apart, a royal priesthood. Do you know there's exactly enough time in every day for me to do exactly what I need to do? Amen? I couldn't even sleep on the plane. I'm so passed out. I'm like, but Lord, you have a responsibility to me. Well, when I show up, you better meet me here. It isn't going to make any sense, and hopefully it's making sense. Amen? You have to realize that you can do things I can't do because the Spirit of God is in you. He's going to take you out, not just in your marriage, but to live intentionally. So the final thought there was to serve. To serve. I just want to close with a couple of thoughts. I've said it before. Our issue isn't an issue of marriage. It's an issue of God. 
I said about seven days of Jesus coming back. What if Jesus was coming back in seven years? How would you live your life? I sat with about 300 worshippers recently at a bonfire, and we asked the question. They had this huge, amazing day. And I said, if you knew the Lord was coming back in seven days, what would you do? Five or six people answered me, and they said, I'd text this person. I'd reach out to my family. I'd do this, I'd do this, I'd do that. No one talked about their gym membership. No one talked about that business venture. Those things are great, but every person was focused on what? Reaching people. When you take your marriage under that every second of every day is set apart for you to be living out the gospel, you haven't got to go to Africa. You haven't got to go to England. Don't go to England. It's crazy, amen? That's why I'm over here. But the reality is, you live this intentional life in this church, wherever you go, however you live, your marriage is a byproduct of that. If your marriage is the idol, it's not going to be good. But my marriage is better because Brian's the preacher tonight hanging out with you and my wife's hanging out with the kids and we're living intentionally. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a moment, you guys. I simply want to pray for us. Pray for us as couples. Pray for us where we are in our faith. And I want to challenge us right here and now without all the loud music, or maybe it's been radically emotional. Hey, I'm for all of that. But did you walk in here today, and do you know Jesus? That's the most important thing. The Bible says we are a breath away from heaven or hell. If you went outside today and you were to get hit by a car and drop dead, have you been forgiven? Are you covered in the blood of the Lamb? Everything you've ever said or done can be forgiven in an instant. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe you're here because of your marriage. But you need to get right with God. Maybe you're here saying, God, I want so much more of you, and it's a free gift. Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. Maybe today's the day for you, and you say, God, I need to cry out with you. I want to let go of some sin. I want to leave it in this room. I want to get right with you. Maybe you're here today, and you just say, Lord, I want more of you in my marriage. More of you to lead me, to direct me. I know who I've been, how I'm living. I need more of your spirit, more of this word, more of shaping you. I want to pray for all of us. If you're here today and you say, I want to get right with God. I want to leave these things in the room. I want to turn to Him. On the count of three, I want you to raise up your hand. That's you. One, two, three. Raise up your hand. Amen. If you're here and you say, man, I need more of God in my marriage. I need God to get a hold of me. I want God to lead me, direct me. I want to lay it down, take this hardness of heart, forgive this spouse of mine. That's you and you want to pray. Would you raise up your hand where you are? Amen. Here's what I want to do. Can we just stand for a moment? And I want to invite you, if you raise your hand for anything, to take a step of faith. Marriage is leaving these doors and walking this out. If you raise your hand for any reason, would you come down to the front so we can pray for you? And church, what we want to do is we want to be the book of Acts. We have a great church here. We have great music. We're opening up the Bible. But we want to be moved by the Spirit of God. We want to trust in the things of God. And maybe you didn't come down here. Maybe you should. But I want to pray for those who said, I want to be right with Jesus. I want to pray for their marriages, but I want you all as believers to extend your hands to the front and you begin to pray with your Father. Pray with the Spirit's power. Amen. Hallelujah. There's five or six other people raise their hands. Feel free to come down. But let's pray out loud together. Let's say, Lord Jesus, we acknowledge our life. We acknowledge our sin.
We acknowledge our struggle. And God, for those of us who raised up our hands, we acknowledge your life, your death, and your resurrection. Put our faith in you. In you alone. Save me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Wash me in the blood. I need to be born again. My faith's in you. Help me. Amen. And Lord, for everyone else, let's begin to pray for marriages. God, I thank you for those who came down, but God, for those who didn't. I don't know what is going on in their marriages, in their midst, in their struggles, God. Things that have done in the past, things that are going on, things that will be confessed. But Lord, we give this all to you. They came in here expecting, God, and you are faithful. So we believe right now, God, that where they are, they're going to be touched from heaven. The Spirit of God is going to move and speak. You're going to break down those barriers, God. Take away the bondages and the yokes. And they're going to see this marriage as a battle and as a blessing. It's a battle against the things of the flesh. It's trusting in the Holy Spirit's moving and leading. Come on, church. Begin to just cry out to Him. Speak life over yourself. Talk the truth of the Word, God. I pray for this union. Pray for this covenant. Pray for those who came down. Thank you, Jesus. We just begin to pray for them, church. Just begin to cry out and speak truth. I want to just pray for some of the people down here for a moment.